Amen. Merry Christmas. Merry Christmas Eve, Eve. Um, I, how many of you have already had a family get-together for Christmas? Good. We have not started. Ours is all post-Christmas. Um, so we, well, I take that back. Well, no, we didn't have one. I apologize. Uh, but uh, if you are just getting into your Christmas season and it is, it is still ahead of you or just behind you with family get-togethers and things like that, uh, Merry Christmas and Merry Christmas to you. Thank you for coming to worship with us this morning. Uh, it's a good day to be in the house of the Lord. Amen. Um, thank you, worship band, uh, just for leading us in worship this morning. I, I don't think I've ever noticed that line in the little Dharma boy. I think forever now, whenever I look at a nativity, I'm going to see Mary nodding her head, and I'm going to see the animals keeping the beat. Um, I've never noticed those lines before, but that's, that, was, uh, that was fun for me. Uh, this morning, if you have your Bibles, turn with us to John chapter 1. John chapter 1, we're going to read verse 1 through 14. Uh, we're going to focus on... Really, verse 1 through 5. Uh, this morning, the title of our message is, We Want to Know Jesus. Amen? I hope that's our goal this morning. Um, to understand, for those of you who may be in the room who've never once trusted your life to Jesus, uh, I want uh, my hope and my prayer this morning is that you want to know Jesus. You will realize and see He is your only hope for life. Um, he is the secret to all your questions that matter. Um, and he is the answer for all that you need. And, but if you were here this morning and, and you have known Jesus for a long time, you've been a follower of Christ for a long time, but you know still that there are things that you can learn. There are depths of Christ that you can still explore and come to know and come to understand. And there are great riches in that. Um, this sermon this morning, the truth from God's Word is for everyone. So this morning I'm going to read John chapter 1, verse 1 through 14. It says, in the beginning was the Word. And here, when it says Word, it literally means Jesus. It's, it's referencing Jesus as the Word of God. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through Him, and without Him was not anything made that was made. In Him was life, and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. There was a man sent from God whose name was John. He came as a witness to bear witness about the light, that all might believe through him. He was not the light, but came to bear witness about the light. The true light, which gives light to everyone, was coming into the world. He was in the world, and the world was made through him. Yet the world did not know him. He came to his own, and his own people did not receive him. But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen his glory, glory as, as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you for this day. We thank you for this opportunity to stand before your people and to dig into your word. God, I thank you for Jesus. I thank you that you are not a God who created us and left us uh, on our own, but you are a God who, even though we had your perfection and had perfection in our relationship with you, even though we rebelled against that, still you came to dwell among us. 
You came in the form of your son to be born of Mary, to live a life of raising up the church, to proclaim the glory of God, and you came to eventually to die on the cross to provide a way for us to know you. This morning I pray that we know you. I pray that everyone in this room, anyone who listens to this sermon later, Father, anyone that we come in contact with after we walk out of these doors, I just pray that people know you, that they know you in a fuller and deeper way. God, I pray that teach me to know you. Reveal yourself to me. God, forgive me for my inadequacies and how I fall short. I pray that your Holy Spirit teach us this morning far beyond anything I could ever do. Speak truth to us. Reveal truth to us so that we may bring glory to your name this season. We love you. We praise you. We thank you. Amen. During the Christmas season, uh, it is a time for great joy, a time for great excitement, a time for great busyness. Amen. Uh, there's a lot going on. A lot of times it's a time of the year where it should be our primary goal to know Jesus, to grow in our knowledge and depth and understanding of Jesus. But oftentimes there's a lot of other things on our mind. Anybody resonate with that? Uh, there's a lot of things that pull at us, a lot of things that, that can try to distract us. So this morning, um, as I was praying through this week and in the last couple of weeks on what I wanted to preach this morning, I, wanted, I felt very um, led by God to just help us to remember Jesus. Just help us to focus on Jesus, to remember why we fight to keep Jesus the focus of this season. I was reading back through some kind of some secular sources and, and surveys and things they did online about what people think of when it comes to Christmas. I saw this one website, it's called the Top Tens, and literally what they do is send surveys out to thousands upon thousands of Americans, asking them specific questions and, and creating top ten lists based on the, the, the way that people answer those questions. So it's the ten most frequently um, spoken answers to specific questions that they've given surveys to out throughout the year. And I found one that came across that said, top ten things people think about when they hear the word Christmas. Top 10 things that first enter people's minds when Americans in our culture today, when we think about Christmas. The first one, I wasn't surprised, but I was happy to find out was Jesus. First thing on that list, this group has nothing to do with any religious organization whatsoever. They're just giving these surveys. They're not trying to survey more religious or less religious people. But number one was Jesus. It was good. Number two was family. A lot of people spending time with family during the Christmas season. Number three, though, was interesting. It starts some interesting things on this list. It was personal happiness and sadness. Number three thing, the, most, the third most common answer that people gave for what they think of when they hear the word Christmas was personal happiness and sadness. A lot of personal either happiness and fulfillment that comes from this holiday season, but also a lot of personal sadness. Talk about even some reasons why here a little bit later. Number four was presents. Hopefully that was maybe more of our younger audience, but maybe that's the older audience too. I don't know. I think you're probably more down on number six, but number five was snow. Clearly that's nobody in the south except for the greatest dreamers among us who are hoping for that white Christmas. Um, it's going to melt if it comes, even before it hits the ground, you know, it's, it, it'll still look beautiful as it's falling, but uh, number six for, like I was saying, probably for more of the adults in the room is, is money and spending. 
Number six most common answer for things people think about during Christmas is money and spending. Where's my money going to be at when I get out of this holiday? How am I going to be able to afford all of these gifts? And how am I making this work? And, or maybe they're thinking what money I'm going to get for Christmas. Um, I don't know. Number seven, Christmas trees. Nowhere near the top of my list. I don't, I don't understand why Christmas trees, but I think that's a, I think it's a beautiful thing. It's a good thing. Um, I like decorating houses. Uh, I like seeing beautiful houses decorated. I like seeing beautiful trees decorated. I love um, just the beauty of, of decoration and things that people do during Christmas. Uh, number eight is friends. Uh, a lot of people spend a lot of close time with friends, probably more family than friends, but friends being a really important thing. And nine and ten were interesting, especially to me, the order of the two. Number nine was sad memories. The, the, the ninth most common answer to what people think about during Christmas is sad memories. And, and kind of the explanation is talking about loss of loved ones, parents that you no longer get to spend Christmas with, or, or children that you had these expectations and hopes and dreams. There's a lot of, for you in the room today, I want to acknowledge celebrations and holidays like Christmas can sometimes come with a lot of sadness, a lot of grief. Uh, and I want to acknowledge and, and, and even encourage you today that, that Jesus and knowing him is enough for your joy. He's enough for us. Number 10 was happy memories then. I thought it was interesting that people answered sad memories maybe more than happy. But a lot of times Christmas is the memory of Christmas's past and experiences and things that you've had in your life. I saw another thing that was an article from Life Magazine that was published just a few weeks ago on December 18th. It said, these are the top emotional struggles during Christmas. I want to see if any of us relate to these. Um, I think at some point or another, I've probably experienced all five of these in the last few weeks. Uh, I'm guessing on some level you might have too. Number one, setting unrealistic expectations. Anybody do that this time of year? Anybody ever set unrealistic expectations for yourself this time of year? Number two, Trying to do too much. Anybody ever try to do too much? Just get a little bit overwhelmed by the busyness. Number three, comparing your insides with someone else's outsides. Anybody got a really great Christmas card idea in your mind that never left? <laughs> and you're just jealous of that person who sent it out like three weeks ago? And you're like, why can't I have my life together like that person? Because I had this great idea in my mind. It just never quite went anywhere else. Compare, it's a, it's a season where comparisons happen. Slacking on self-care is number four. Anybody eaten more than you've exercised or slept in the last week? Maybe. Uh, but that, that, that affects us during the holiday season. Number five was experiencing symptoms of seasonal affective disorder. This is literally the idea that as it gets darker earlier and gets colder and gets more rainy, and that, that affects our mental and emotional status and standing in ways we don't understand. Sometimes we're sad because our surrounding weather is sad, and we don't, it affects us. It matters, and we don't realize it. But this, I just say all that to say, read through these things to say there's a lot about Christmas that can be overwhelming at times. There's a lot about Christmas that can distract us from Jesus and can pull us away from this idea that the, that the holiday was created to know Jesus. When we read Philippians 3, 8 through 10, Paul writes, Indeed, I count everything as a loss because of the surpassing knowledge of knowing Jesus my Lord. Amen? We look at all these other things, 
all the Christmas is so many, so many times it's a time where we think, what can I get? Who can I hang out with? What can I experience? What gifts can I have? How do I make it's all about what we can get? And Paul says, all this is rubbish compared to knowing Jesus. For his sake I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ, that I may be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God that depends on faith, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and share in the fellowship of his sufferings, Becoming like him in his death, that by any means possible I may attain the resurrection of Jesus from the dead. Paul said, I want to know Jesus. I want to know Jesus not because of what necessarily I can even get out of him, but I want to know Jesus because through death to myself to know him, I am resurrected into life with him. Amen. Is that our goal? Is that our focus this Christmas season to know Jesus? We're going to break down the first five verses of this John 1 and look at three reasons why we want to know Jesus. Three reasons from this passage. Number one, and there's a lot more, so don't get me wrong, but three reasons I think are very important that speak to different needs and struggles even in our culture today. Number one comes from verse 1 and 2. It says, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. First reason we want to know Jesus from this passage is, Knowing Jesus is knowing God. Knowing Jesus is knowing God. Jesus is God, or God. Jesus is God. God alone is good. Knowing God is our only path to knowing and experiencing really anything of good and value and worth in our lives. We live in a culture obsessed with wanting good things for everyone. The problem is a lot of times we want good things without wanting godly things. We live in a culture obsessed with things. You, you hear the news and you read newspapers and books and articles and you hear words like social justice all the time, fairness, goodness. All of these words are, are, are big catchphrases. The problem is, in Christ alone, is there anything good? If we pursue goodness without pursuing Christ, we will be left wanting. So many times in our culture around Christmas, we pursue good things without pursuing Jesus. I'll say this statement over and over and over in our sermon today because I want it to sink in. Sometimes we are desperate for what Jesus came to offer, but we do not live like we are desperate for Jesus. Sometimes we are desperate for what Jesus came to offer, but we are not desperate. We do not live like we are desperate for Jesus. The number one reason why we want to know Jesus is because we Knowing Jesus is knowing God. Number two, second reason we see in verse three, it says all things were made through him and without him was not anything made that was made. Second reason why we know Jesus, we will be reminded about knowing Jesus because knowing Jesus makes everything else make sense and have a point. Knowing Jesus makes everything else make sense. Well, how do you say that? Well, look. It says in verse 3, all things were made through him, and without him was not anything made. Everything in creation was designed to scream about Jesus to the world. The only way to make sense of life is to take everything in the context of Jesus. We live in a culture that is struggling through this time of year. Depression is higher 
Suicide rate is higher during Christmas than any other time of the year. So many people are looking for meaning and looking for purpose outside of Jesus. They're wanting the things Jesus came to bring without any regard for Jesus himself. We will not find meaning and purpose of life outside of Jesus because everything was made for and through and by him. Everything has meaning in the context of Jesus. Our world is obsessed with finding meaning. What is the meaning of life? What is the purpose of anything? However, any pursuit of meaning without the pursuit of everything the world was created through and with is going to leave us wanting. Sometimes we're desperate for what Jesus came to offer, but we do not live like we are desperate for Jesus. Third reason, I want to be reminded why we want to know Jesus. For the first time or for the deepest and most intimate time. Doesn't matter where you're at this morning, I want to encourage you, I want to beg you to want to know more of Jesus, to want to experience more of Jesus. Don't make anything else your priority in this season or in life, but to want to know and experience Jesus. Third reason comes verse 4 and 5. It says, In him was life, and the life was the light of men. I love that song Stacy sung about Jesus being the light of the world, glory to the light of the world, Jesus who shines in the darkness of our life. Verse 5 says that the light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. If there is anything this world is more interested in than social justice, if there's anything this world is more interested in than a search for purpose or meaning, then it's probably man's search for forgiveness for feeling okay about themselves and mistakes and things and sin in our lives. People want to know how to deal with their sin and their guilt. If you look at best-selling bookshelves in bookstores, you're going to see a lot of books about figuring out how to deal with your guilt, how to deal with your sin. This is counseling is a He's a million-dollar, billion-dollar business in America, and I'm a big fan of it. I think all of us need it for some reason, probably at all points. But one of the biggest issues is people dealing with their own self-doubt and their own struggle and their own feeling of inadequacies in themselves. But Jesus is our hope to deal with the worst of who we are. Jesus is the light in our darkness. We cannot hope to try to deal with our own personal darkness without falling fast after knowing Jesus. Amen? Jesus is life. The opposite is sin and death. Jesus is light as sin is darkness. Jesus does two things. This is what third thing. The third reason why we want to know Jesus is because knowing Jesus makes us holy. First, knowing Jesus is knowing God. Second, knowing Jesus helps us to see that everything has a point and makes sense. And third, knowing Jesus makes us holy. Jesus does this in two ways. Jesus emanates holiness in this passage, and he illuminates holiness in this passage. What does that mean? When, and based on our proximity to Jesus, we, we are deemed holy. When we know Jesus, when we are one with Jesus, he emanates holy, and we become holy based on our knowing him. It has nothing to do with us. We don't earn that. Through knowing Christ, submitting our life to Christ, being one with Christ, he emanates his holiness and we take his holiness on ourselves. 
But not only that in this passage, but he also illuminates holiness. So not only does he make us holy, but then he shows us the path of holiness. He makes us holy, and then he teaches and shows us how to live that holiness out. And so many times in life, in our culture, we're living to deal with the worst parts of ourselves without realizing the only way we can ever pursue any kind of holiness is in knowing Jesus. Growing in our knowledge and understanding of Jesus. If we finish reading as we did, verse 9 through 14, it, it, it creates this idea and talks about this idea of Emmanuel that, that Stacy's saying about again, that God with us. In verse 14, it says, The Word became flesh and dwelt among us. We have seen his glory, glory as the one and only Son of the Father, full of grace and truth. Jesus became flesh and Emmanuel among us. I know that sounds kind of weird, but the point um, there, you, in different times you see Emmanuel spelled in English, it may be an E, it may be an I, but I even added a D on the end, it gets all kind of confusing. Courtney saw my notes and she said, why in the world is there a D on the end of Emmanuel? I said, well, I'm turning a, a noun, kind of a name for Jesus, into a verb, essentially, is what's happening. Probably not grammatically correct, but it's theologically something there. What I want us to understand is the word Emmanuel means God with us, but literally in Scripture, the, word, the idea here is when we say God is, when Jesus is Emmanuel, he is God with us, it's not just God with us kind of in an in a abstract thought. The idea is he, Emmanuel literally means to pitch a tent. That's what it literally means. Outside of God, the word Emmanuel means to pitch a tent. So when we think about God being Jesus, being Emmanuel, we literally mean Jesus pitched his tent among us. I've asked, as an I've got a few analogies of pictures of things I want us to burn in our mind today. I've asked some of my Trail Life friends to come up, and um, Trail Life is a ministry here at our church for young boys age five through high school, um, all school age. The, the design of the ministry, just selfless plug, is, is to disciple young men in their walk with Christ, and they do it through outdoor recreation kind of activities, almost somewhat similar to a structure of Boy Scouts, but it's completely um, Scripture-based and Gospel-based. The whole design of these, these guys is to disciple young men in the Gospel. And it's one of the, 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 the really just cool, awesome, exciting ministries we have here going at our church, and they're going to pitch a tent for us real quick. Um, and what, what this picture is, is showing that when Christ, we say Christ is Emmanuel, we say that Christ is God with us, what we're saying is God literally came to pitch his tent among us. The word became flesh and dwelt among us. We have seen his glory, glory as the, the one and only son of his father, full of grace and truth. So this is what it means. We have to think about this in the context of biblical culture when they would have heard it. For someone to say, I'm going to go pitch a tent in our culture, we hear, okay, you're kind of vacating life and going somewhere else on almost kind of a vacation. And I know some of you camping is not a vacation. To me, it is. Um, but to, a lot of times we think of camping as kind of an escape from life. But that's the opposite. Don't, don't hear that here. When we say Jesus was God come to pitch a tent with us? We literally say, a lot of times in the Bible, you ever heard the, the Jesus called Jesus of Nazareth? That's a city. Last names weren't a common thing. 
Most time you are known as your first name, either the son of your father or the place where you're from. For Jesus to say that he is Emmanuel, God with us, what he's saying is, your home is my home. You are my home. The desire for Jesus in your life is him to be known as Jesus of Jeremy. I want to dwell there. I want to, I want to attach our beings together. I don't want to be something you do once a week. I don't want to be something that's convenient when it's convenient. But I am investing in you. This isn't to say that Jesus came by for a visit. This is, the idea is that he identified himself with us and we became his people. We took his name. He hitched his future to ours and ours to his. And don't get me wrong, Jesus does not need us. Jesus is God's son with or without us, but our future is completely tied into our relationship with him. And our greatest hope and joy is in an intimate pursuit of a relationship with him. Jesus is not something that we can take up or sit down in our lives. If we want meaning, we want hope, we want intimacy, we want holiness, we do not get all those things from pursuing the things that Jesus came to bring and not trying to pursue knowing Jesus. Amen? We must realize that the point of knowing Jesus is an intimate pitching our tent together existing together. The problem is, so often we want the things of Jesus without wanting Jesus. Galatians 5 gives us another picture of this. Galatians 5 is a passage that talks about the fruit of the Spirit. It says that there are these fruits that come out of a life who is one with the Spirit of God. They're the, when you are essentially kind of like a tree in Galatians 5, and of sorts, when that tree is planted in the Spirit of God, not just standing there fake, this is not real, not just standing there fake on a stand on a stage. This is not what Galatians 5 is talking about. Galatians 5 is talking about a tree dug deep into roots in the ground near a stream of water, gaining life from the Spirit of God. And when this tree, it, us, it's planted into the Word of God. When we, when we realize that, that He has pitched His tent among us and our life is desperate for Him and our existence has to be united in every possible way, then we bear fruit. The problem is we want the things of Jesus without wanting to know Jesus. So what we do is we say, love. I need some love in my life. So I want to live for love. I want to be a more loving person. I want to focus on love. We pray that. In our most intimate and best motivations and moments, we make our lives about love, joy. I need some joy. I need some joy in my life. So I'm going to fight for joy. I want to be a joyful person. I want peace. Man, do I need peace and trouble and heartache. In struggle and in, in trial, I need peace, patience. Lord knows I got all these family gatherings. I'm gonna need some patience. God, give me patience to endure gentleness. I even pray this for others. God, make them gentle. Teach us to be gentle, caring people. 
not objective driven, but God, give us gentle faithfulness. Let me stay faithful to what I'm doing. Give me self-control. Help me to have control of what I'm doing. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. And we devote our lives to these fruits of the Spirit. You follow me? We make everything in our lives, all of our prayers, all of our actions, all of our activities in our most holy moments are to be more loving, are to be more joyful, are to be more patient. The problem is, if I devote my life to being a tree that looks good but is fake, and if I devote my life to being a tree that hangs fruit on this, what's going to happen to this fruit? Anybody? This fruit, what's going to happen? It's going to rot and die. And it's going to need to be replaced. Man, I was really patient until this one person pushed my buttons and patience went out the door. And I had to pray for more patience. So I take out the rotten fruit and I put more fruit on there. I was really loving except for that one moment and I messed up and I need need to go get some more love. Man, I I was really joyful until this thing happened and just came crashing down and I need to go get more joy. We live for the fruits of the Spirit. The problem is we shouldn't be living for the fruits of the Spirit. We should be living for the Spirit in us. We should be living for pitching our tent with Jesus. Because when we pitch our tent with the one who came to pitch his tent and dwell among us, the fruit comes out of that. And instead of what we're doing is we're trying to be a fake tree adorning ourselves in the things that Jesus came to give instead of being a deep and rooted tree rooted in him with nothing more than a desire to know him, knowing that the fruit of that spirit will come out of knowing him. Amen? So many times we live to want the things Jesus came to give without living desperate for knowing Jesus. So this morning, I want to ask you, as we get ready to wrap this up, how are you approaching Christmas? Are you approaching Christmas trying to make sure your kids feel loved? Are you trying to approach Christmas making sure your family has all the possible joy they can have? Are you approaching Christmas begging that you're patient with people? Or are you approaching Christmas saying, I just want to know Jesus. I want to be in His Word. I want to tell people about Him. I want to pray to Him. Have we spent more time shopping for presents than praying to Jesus lately? Have we spent more time in His Word than we have planning our meals? And we're just wanting Jesus. Because I want us to realize that this is the time of the year when it's the easiest to forget. This morning as we get ready to respond, I want to ask the band, somebody come, play, sing something. And I just want to give it time to respond. We're going to enter into the Lord's Supper communion here in just a minute. I always like to try to give a time of invitation before the Lord's Supper. And the reason why we do that is because scripturally, It commands us to check our hearts before we do the Lord's Supper. 
If there's any sin in us, let's confess that. Let's deal with that before we partake of the Lord's Supper. So this morning, as we get ready to prepare to take the Lord's Supper, I want to ask our... Do we need to come down and get on the altar and our face before God and beg Him to forgive us for how we've approached the time of celebrating His birth? Well, not just this time of year, but every time of the year. Do we want to pray, God, help us to learn what it means to focus relentlessly on You, not on trying to embrace the things You give, but just on You, trying to let that play out in our lives. Let's respond, let's pray, and let's prepare our hearts.